Johnny, thank you so much for coming on, sir. We were discussing a little bit before I had some some stuff going on today and that the scheduling was a little bit weird on my end, but we're here now and I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. We made it. Great to we be made here. made it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. It's a it's an absolute, absolute pleasure, pleasure on my end as well. Um <clears throat> and uh for the folks at home that don't know, uh on top of being a musician, you are also a record producer. Correct. That and, is correct. Uh what is it like having your hand in both of these operations surrounding music? What is what is that like for you? Well, it's uh I mean, it's a dream come true for me because um I love all elements of the of the of the recording process and the writing process and you know I love everything about making music from the first time a tune pops in your head until the time the record comes out so to be able to be involved in 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 everything along the way with for my own music and for others is is wonderful but also you know I produced my own records for a long time as well so um, I guess I, I guess I've always kind of been a hands-on kind of guy, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you begin kind of making this musical journey with the with the Shilohs? And am I do, am I saying that correctly? Is it? Is That's it... right. That would be the that would be the origin that most would be familiar with. Although I was in bands for years before that, you know, um, as a lot of people did, you know, various cover bands, punk bands, whatever, whatever it might've been, whoever you could meet and find and play with. And, um, from, from a, a when I was a teenager on, you know, but the Shilohs was the first band that kind of got a record deal and, and, uh, got me out on the road and all that, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. And this is in Vancouver. Yeah. That was, that's right. Yeah. We were, we were in Vancouver. Yeah. Good place. Yeah, it is. It, it, yeah, it certainly was, was a lot of fun back then as well um i i, it's, I, it's, I it's more fun now i've heard but i don't i mean I don't could know be I, I i was i was actually thinking that the other day that i don't know what the kids are up to in vancouver now um it's see it's like the classic like you get older and you think oh you know that that was great back then and i don't i doesn't seem like there's any kind of scene going on anymore you know everyone says that i feel like but there must be um, but Vancouver specifically is the type of town that seems like maybe, just maybe, there isn't like as great a scene happening um, as there was 10, 20, 30 years ago. But uh, I'd like to be proven wrong about that. And I, I can only speak, obviously, in terms of rock and roll music, um, because there's always been a wonderful uh, electronic music scene in Vancouver that it it's difficult to follow because a lot of it is pretty underground, but um, I'm certain that that's still happening. You know, mm -hmm. were you tapped into the to the underground kind of stuff when you were living there? Yeah, when I, when when we were when when the Shilohs were starting out, it was it was kind of a it was a groovy time because um, there was Vancouver really goes in stages of of music um, where it gets swept up in one thing a lot. And uh, <clears throat> when we when we were starting out, it was a lot of kind of like stoner rock bands and like psych rock bands. This was the thing. It was like everybody took like Neil Young Cowgirl in the Sand and like doubled the length of it and thought it would be cool to do like twice as long a guitar solo. And uh, you'd go to shows and it was really like sludgy, jammy, 
stonery rock music, really long songs, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and we thought th that band was born out of this idea that, you know, there should be a band that does two, three, maybe four minute songs again, pop songs straight to the point, hooks, two guitars, br a bridge and get to the point and get in, get out kind of thing. And that was our idea. But during that time, there was a very cool underground scene because in Vancouver, they don't like to keep clubs. You know, a lot of the city, the city will try to like, um, I don't know, for lack of a better expression, like, you know, keep the good times down. And, and uh, there were a lot of places that um, didn't last. So there would be pop up like venues that would be all night long and underground in weird, dark parts of the city. And we would all go there and watch bands and uh, it'd be a lot of fun and none of it would be legit. So we did have a fun underground world back then. Yeah. Right, right. After that came a really big movement of electronic dance music in Vancouver. And it was actually really well regarded all over the world. I think that it was well known in, in New York and Berlin and, and all kinds of places. And I knew a lot of the people who were involved in that. And it was certainly a very, very cool thing. And a lot of the parties were a lot of fun. And they would go all night long. And it was a blast. And I went to a lot of them. But, you know, there then there was me, like, you know, sat at my piano trying to write, like, Harry Nilsson-type songs and, and make records that sounded like that. And, uh, yeah, you know, we never really fit in. But then we, but then we got out and uh, and we toured a lot and we met a lot of a lot of bands from from America and uh, and uh, we sort of carved out our own little thing with with like-minded people from elsewhere. But Vancouver, yeah, was always kind of doing its own thing apart from me. I always felt. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. where did you wind up after the the stint in Vancouver? Well, I lived there long after I all all these Johnny Payne records that have come out I made there and Vancouver was my home only until last year. And oh. now I live on Vancouver Island, um, which is just a, a short trip away from the big city. But uh, yeah, and I live out in the country. And uh, I've been building a house uh, for the past year oh, for myself cool. for myself and uh and and my wife to live in and uh so this is why you've kind of caught me actually today jacob in a bit of a um you know it, it's always <laughs> it's kind of a trippy thing like because i've just been up there just like you know working on the house and uh and i'm dirty and i'm drinking a like a beer here after working you know, I was, I was, I was putting some boards on, we were building an entryway up into our kitchen. And like, then we were going to pour some concrete to build a step down into the crawl space. So this is more sort of the stuff that I've been doing lately, I have to switch hats very quickly here. But I'm really glad that we've got an hour because I think we're, you're helping me to transition back into the person that I like to be, which is a musician. So hopefully, you can unlock, you know, you can kind of break through this rugged, uh, you know, working class exterior that I've that I've built up and get down to the essence of the real Johnny Bain again.
here's hoping. I, I will do my darndest. I'm not but, sure that I even know that I can get back there. So maybe you'll be the man to do the job. We'll see. Time will tell. We, we will check in an hour. And okay. I'll, yeah. Yeah. I'll, All right. I'll, I'll Let's say, hit me here. with the hit me with the good stuff here, man. Come on. Let's do it. Um, going going back to the to the Shilohs, was that re, is that? Do you feel like that was the the jumping off point, uh, the or, or a a jumping off point for your your music stemming from there and going to where we are now? Yeah, of course. You know, for sure. Um, I like to think of life uh, in terms of no regrets. You know, it's like. Uh, of course, it was the jumping off point because for me, that's all I had. You know, that's what I did. And that was my band. And from that band built, you know, came everything that I am now as a songwriter, producer, everything. I mean, um, yeah, you're, you're the sum of all your parts, right? And so that that was where it began. And I, sometimes, you know, it's funny you ask this because I listen to those old records sometimes. And I did the other night with Ben Frey, the drummer of the Shilohs. And he, I hadn't seen him in a very long time and he came over and, and you know, as you do sometimes when you see an old friend, you know, you get the, you get a bottle of whiskey out or something like that. And you say, let's listen to those old records from back in the day and see what they were all about. And um, it's funny because of course you always feel like, there's things you could have done better and you're like, wow, I wish I'd, I'd wish I knew wh what I know now then, you know, but at the same time, um, they sound good. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that was definitely where it all began. And, um, I'm proud of that stuff, but I definitely feel as though I've come a long way since then, you know, right on. Does it feel like it's more clear what it was about in hindsight now looking at it? looking back at it now i think that if you're talking about the shiloh i mean we could do a whole podcast about the shilohs if, if you like the shilohs because there's a lot to talk about there we were we were a very interesting band and there was a lot of hardship that went on there there was a lot of emotion there were those were my best friends at that time that um we went through a lot you know we had tours that I could tell you stories about for like 10 of these podcasts, man. Like we had some ragged tours that were like real, um, just grinding it out, playing some really bad shows for a long time. And um, it takes its toll on you, you know? And, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, um, You'd have to ask me about specific albums because I think that I could tell you something about each of those records, like about the Shilohs, like, but they're all, they're all really different. They all represent a different, a different time in my life, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Do you have that same feeling towards your solo works as well? Do they, uh, you know, represent different chapters, if you will? Totally, totally. Yeah. Every every song, I think everybody would agree with the you know the cheesy sentiment that every song has a story, and every record has a story. And I was always in a different place when I recorded a lot of this stuff. And yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, for sure. Has has did your time in the Shilohs has that gone on to affect what you have done with your solo work, uh, moving forward? 
Definitely. Well, you know, I always think of, uh, you know, how I, I, you know, how everybody in a band can kind of classify themselves as one of the Beatles. <clears throat> I think that if you're in, no matter what band you're in, everybody's a Paul, a John, a George, or a Ringo. I don't care. The Ringo could be the bass player. He could be the piano player, whatever, but there's, those roles really can be represented in every band. And I think we learned that recently in the Get Back Beatles documentary, that they're just like every other band in the studio or in the rehearsal space trying to work, right? But I was always a Paul, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, I was always trying to kind of hold the band together. I was the guy trying to produce it, trying to, trying to develop it, make it more symphonic, make it more orchestral, all this kind of stuff. And so, in that way, when we split and I went solo, it was very much like Paul, where I was like, okay, now I can do it all myself. And this will be great. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and that's cool. And I still do a bit of that, but I've definitely wavered on that. And now I, I sort of crave um, other musicians and, and, and relationships with other musicians as well. But, um, but definitely the restrictions of being in a band um, are real sometimes when you have relationships with people in a band. And so, yes, when I went solo, I was very relieved that I could finally make the music that was in my head and get it out exactly the way I wanted to get it out without having to explain it to anybody. And it sounds, it sounds narcissistic, but you know, sometimes with art, you need that, you know, you need to be able to go into a place and say, look, okay, this is what we're going to do. And it's got to come out like this. And then when it comes out like that, and you say, there we go, we got it, cut it, print it, we're done. That's it. And you don't want to talk about it, you know? Right. And so yeah, that I did, I was able to do that. And that was a good thing. Was there any apprehension when you kind of went and did your solo thing did you ever feel that way at all or no nah, the writing was on the wall with the shilohs we were we were we were kind of slowly breaking up for quite some time um and i was uh i was ready ready to go you know mm -hmm. so uh, i had stuff ready to go i had plans i had things to do and uh i went on and did them and there was no hard feelings about that so did uh dan um uh the bass player who's now uh he's making wonderful records uh, under this pseudonym uh, Fortunato Duruti Marinetti, I believe. And he's signed to Soft Abuse Records and makes lots of stuff. And he started right away too, making his own tunes. And um, yeah, those are a bunch of talented people that didn't want to be held back. So I don't think there was any hard feelings from anybody if people wanted to keep, to keep on rocking, you know? Right, right. Did you have a feeling that you need to strike when the iron was hot right off the heels of, of exiting the band? I mean, the iron was never that hot, man. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, dude. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, I'm a person, I'm, I'm a, I'm a personality uh, a little bit these days because of the wonderful friends and musicians I have and people that I'm lucky enough to work with. But Back then, the Shilohs, we were we were fizzled out, man. We were we were kind of uh, we were definitely not 
buzzing anymore when the band broke up. So I had to, we all had to start from scratch at that point, you know, a little it, bit. It, it ran its course. It had run its course. We had a moment, you know, as so many bands like do, we had a minute there. And then, um, you know, as I say, we would need to do a bunch of like Shiloh's podcasts for me to explain. It's boring to talk about and I don't particularly want to, but uh, we had a lot of varying factors that contributed to us uh, not being a super successful band. Right. Um, there's a lot of people to blame. There's a lot of people who shouldn't be blamed. And uh, but that was what happened. You know, it happens to thousands of bands every day, I'm sure, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were just another one. And um, but, you know, uh, we broke up and I still had something to say and music to make. And here I am, you know, good deal. Uh, so you you were producing some of the some of the music that was coming from the band uh, b before, obviously. It, it yeah, ended. I produced uh, I, I produced the first record. And um, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, the the idea of a producer is very ethereal to many people but um and to myself at that time too as a young man but um i was doing a lot of the arrangements and i was uh i was certainly directing the sessions to to an extent and so they you know uh thought uh, you know everybody thought it would be appropriate for me to be called the producer on the first record then the second and third records we produced as a band the credit was produced by the Shilohs because, yeah, we were all we were all contributing for sure, mm -hmm. and uh, that was cool too. And we had a wonderful studio, JCDC in Vancouver, who, uh, you know, recorded bands, many many great bands, uh, Destroyer being the most famous, who were our heroes at that time, um, and uh, so Dave Carswell, who was our main lead engineer and uh co-producer he contributed a ton to those records you know right what was it about producing that made you interested in it do you was there a certain thing that just clicked for you or you know i didn't i guess i guess i didn't really know that i was a i was a good producer until i did it for somebody else you know because what happened was I was recording, I was producing those Shiloh's records and then I produced all the Johnny stuff, uh, King of Cups and all that and, and Lazy Love and all that. And I was like, well, yeah, it's, it went well. Sounds like I want it to sound great. You know, everything's, everything's going well. But I didn't know whether I could ever do it for anybody else. I just figured it went well because I knew how it was supposed to sound because I'd written the songs and I'd had the arrangements in my head and whatever it was, right? But I remember that um, I have to give Sam um, a shout out here and a lot of credit here because um, because Sam Blasucci of Mapache, um, he, we met and, and he liked my music and he liked the work that I had done and he just cold called me, Sam. And he said, he said, look, I got all these songs. They're not really Mapache songs and I want to record them. And I think I want you to produce it, you know? And it was, it was a very, like, you know, these are the, these great stories. Cause like it came from nothing. I don't even know where he would have thought that 
uh, of to call me. Sam lived in LA. He could ask a lot of people, you know. I was up in Canada and it was this thing. He had this feeling. Sam's got great instincts, right? Like for things like this. And um I said to him, I said, not only will I take this challenge on, but I said, I'm going to give you everything I got because I love Sam and I loved his music. And I said, send me all the demos and let's get to work, you know? And he sent me all the demos and we just started talking about every song, everything. What are the influences? What's it going to sound like? What is the instrumentation? What are the effects? What are the, you know, what, what's the, what is the emotional meaning behind the song? What are we going to do? And we got deep, deep, deep into it. And then when I got into the studio and this was really my first major production for somebody who wasn't, you know, me or like a, just a buddy who needed a hand in the studio or whatever. Right. Like I went down to LA, I went to Liberty street, Dan Horn studio and we got to work on the record and I was like, okay, you know, how's this going to go? And, um, and it, you know, something, uh, something really kind of just happened to me when I, when I saw myself behind the, the desk without my own ego involved where I was like, I don't need to worry about how I'm going to come across on this record at all. Like, this is not about me. It's about Sam. It's about, it's about figuring out how to get Sam to sound the best on these songs he's written to get this stuff out. This is my job. And when I, when I figured that out, I realized that I could actually think a lot more clearly about the way to do things, to communicate with the engineer more efficiently than when your own your own mind and your own ego, but your own lyrics and your own songs get in the way. It, all of a sudden I was able to think clearly about everything. I would hear the tambourine or I would hear the organ and be like, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. But it wasn't because I was apprehensive about it. It was because I truly could hear that wasn't it for his music, you know? And then of course he and I would talk about every decision and we would come to the, to the right decision in the end. But yeah, that was that was when it really all clicked for me and that was a rush. Like you can't believe when I realized I can do this for others and actually get an incredible amount of satisfaction out of it, you know? And, uh, and, and you know, from there on, I just was so excited to keep doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I forget the name of that album. It was, it's his debut album, which is... Off My, Off My Stars, it was Off called. Off My yeah. Stars. You know, I, I should have opened by saying I don't really know your podcast. I'm sorry, but I also don't listen to podcasts at That's all. That's all right. That's all right. Um, um, Sam has been on this podcast, and for those of you who haven't listened to it, go back and listen to the Sam Blasucci one. Is a, he's a great musician. He's a great guy to talk to, and he is really talented, and uh, yeah. I mean, makes Sam has, music. yeah, and Rayla has too. That's right, yeah, Rayla too. Yeah, you can listen to that one as well. I checked it's out your Instagram in... feed and I said, oh, "Who do I? Who do I see? Who I know here? You know, or just for." Yeah, well, I I, I appreciate, it. and Rayla also plays with Sam. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a there's a rotation of people it seems like, but yeah, Rayla. Rayla She's is... pretty much his rock solid bass player, live bass player though. Yeah, good, good, and she's a great 
artist in her oh own my god Rayla's I can't don't even get me started on what an amazing person she is I love her so much yeah, yeah she's, she's great. and and she's so she's so versatile because she plays in different bands I mean this band called sad girl I don't know if you're familiar with them as well I'm starting to see all the stuff that she's been doing like I say I live out in the woods and I don't really have internet access but <laughs> people tell me people tell me about this stuff and I'm I'm very impressed you know yeah yeah it is it is very impressive yeah and uh yeah great music it seems like you surround yourself with great musicians which is like which is a good way to live johnny this is you know it just happens organically man i guess uh, i've done something right you know taking a step back i read that uh you did you have a a hand in contributing to some producing with tennis that band tennis um no, I would not say that I, I mean, I made uh, my first um, EP after the Shilohs with them, and we all co-produced it together. But um, as far as their music, no, 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 never. I did a string, I did a couple, one, maybe two, string arrangements for them. Um and uh we worked together a ton tennis and i go way way back to shiloh's days we toured a lot together um but no i have never produced any of their music they are very much a self-produced band aside from back you know when they were doing stuff with richard swift and all that mm -hmm. but um but no 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 I, I i've never produced anything for them so i got that wrong i'm gonna strike that from the record okay <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um yeah, they're they're fantastic though. Great, great band. Great uh, band. Great, great band. band. Are they uh, uh from Canada as well? No, they're from Denver, Colorado. Okay. Okay. Now they uh now they live elsewhere. Um but um yeah. I met I met Pat and Elena a very, very long time ago and they maintain uh two of my closest music friends in this world. Good deal. For sure. Good yeah. Deal. I have to actually also say, in case they're listening right now, because uh, that I was talking about producing and about Sam off my stars being kind of the first thing that got me there. But actually, I did a record before that for this band called Ponytails, who were from Vancouver, just before. They were a really, really groovy rock and roll band, um, and they took me to this island to a studio, and we made a record. And that was really my first initiation to it, to producing for somebody else. And and that was the Sam thing was like where it like really like cemented it for me. But the Ponytails one was also very cool, and that record is also out and and everything. And I I stand by that being a very good record too. They're a cool band. When you were producing sam's album what was going through your mind were you kind of making a checklist of what you kind of thought you want would want a producer to say when when you were working with other people or did you kind of leave it open-ended for him to ask the <laughs> questions and and do this kind of thing um well the way sam and i work um is that we have a lot of dialogue leading up to the sessions. We talk a lot beforehand on the phone. We don't Zoom. We talk on the phone uh, and we bounce ideas off each other. We both have notebooks. We're listening to the songs and we're, we're bouncing ideas off each other. And we both have this kind of cute relationship where we don't know how each other are going to react to different ideas. And 
it's a lot of fun when we get on the phone and somebody really likes an idea, you know? So no, I don't go into producing at all in that way. I find it I find that honestly music is a is a part of producing, but the other part of producing is being kind of like a chilled out entertainer type around the room. <laughs> like just kind of like keeping things light and also being a therapist at times, you know? Um, to whoever's in there, people come in, they're nervous to play. They feel like they're not doing a good job. And your job is to manage the sessions and manage people's emotions and, um, and also work on the music. So, you know, in the old, in the olden days of being a record producer, quote unquote, the job was actually like kind of like artists and repertoire, you know, it was like your job was to basically make sure everybody had lunch at the right time and that everybody was happy. And then that the music was going down, right. You know, and I really subscribe to, to that, uh, you know, old world terminology in terms of personnel in the studio. So no, there was no, I didn't go in with like, oh, these are things I need to say or do because like, that's what I would like a producer to say or do. I go pure gut instinct. I go in there and I just react to how people are feeling or what they're doing. What are they happy? Are they sad? What are they doing? And keep the mood up, keep the music make. I want everybody to always feel like what's happening in there is magical. And uh, you just try to keep the magic bubbling all the time, you know? Did I just say keep the magic bubbling? Yeah, and I think that's good. I think that's what okay, cool. you said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you follow the gut instinct through music at all times? Whether all times. Playing it live or recording it yourself or whatever? At all, t at all times. At yes, all times. sir. Yes, sir. Sometimes when you're mixing or doing things that are a little bit more technical. Unfortunately, you can't go gut instinct in those moments because there's tech, you know, there's computers involved and programs and plugins and you have to, you can't really just, uh, you can't really go all gut. So when you're mixing it actually, you, you, but you can go, you can still go a bit gut, but Sometimes when you have to, when, when you, you know, mixing is, is the other side of the brain for me. Right. And when did that come in, into play? Was that on the table of like, Hey, you got to mix this as well. Or did it just kind of fall into your lap? I only mix, uh, I only mix records that I really love and believe in. I don't like mixing. Uh, if anyone's listening that wants to hire me, I probably won't do it um, because it's not my thing, but uh, you know, producing is what I'm actually like really, really good at. I've learned um, songwriting. I'm okay. Guitar playing serviceable uh, in, you know, all that kind of stuff. But producing is what I'm really, really good at, I think. And mixing I'm pretty good at, but only if I really like, like I'm in love with the record, you know? So I did it for Sam. Um, and I did it for my friend, Sarah Jane Scouten, who's a wonderful country singer from Canada who I produced her record. And I mixed it as well because I really believed in the record. 
and I'll mix some of my own stuff too. But um, it's not really it's not really my thing. I know too many other people who are really good at mixing to like, you know, why try to do it all, man? That's what I say. You know what I mean? Like too many people try to do it all. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, you know what? Why don't you just do the thing you're good at and let the other people do the thing they're better than you at, you know? Right, right. So I, I think. I, I see where you're coming from on that. I do. Uh, do you work with a, a mantra or a thought process when dealing with music in any facet? <clears throat> um, not really, but um, I try to keep, I try to, I try to always remember, although everybody's, uh, especially nowadays, everybody's really trying to forget this that music especially rock and roll is a human art form that is supposed to not be perfect and i forget this myself at times but it, it is in a way a mantra because i'm always trying to remind myself that the what is good about rock and roll and about recorded music are the moments that feel inherently human where there's a little mistake or a crack in your voice or the tempo, the drummer drags a bit or pushes or whatever. And when you go back and you go through your record collection and you listen to, to Marvin Gaye and, and, you know, the Beatles or any, anything, um, you hear these moments all the time. And those are the parts that when you're at the party and you're kind of like standing next to somebody and it comes out, and you're like, listen to this, listen to this, listen, this is where Marvin's voice cracks a little bit. You know what I mean? And they kept it in or whatever. And that always makes me think that those are the things that matter. And that perfection is actually the enemy of good music, I think. Um, so I always try to remember that, especially when I'm working on my own stuff. It's so easy to hear your own vocal and be like, oh, I could probably fix that up a little bit better and, you know, do that again. You know, people might hear that and like the way it sounds, you know? Right. So I think I think it's important to remember that. Do you feel it is easier to be a producer because you have you make your own music and you've been on the other side of that? Totally. 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 I've I've been in a lot of studios. I've had to communicate with a lot of engineers, a lot of labels, a lot of managers you know a lot of just a lot of people in the industry that think they know what they're doing and some of them do and some of them don't and i think that i'm at a place now you know as a I consider myself somewhat of an elder statesman now in terms of this kind of stuff and i think that uh definitely i think that um you know the more you do the more you learn and then you can you can you know you can offer it to others right for sure do you ever help like with arrangement or a, some little bit of writing here and there totally oh yeah all the time there's always there's always a bit of arrangement to do when you're making a record and if you're if you're producing nothing is ever uh you know exactly 
nothing ever comes out exactly how it went down on the demo you know there's right. always there's always something but that's the whole magic of a of a recording session i mean there'd be no point in in ever working with anybody or doing anything if it was just going to sound exactly the same because you could do it you could do everything yourself and people do but uh for better or for worse right right do you prefer to work alone in that capacity when you're recording music i no i always i always work with somebody never all alone never all alone that's t- terrifying man <laughs> terrifying but uh i would always like to have another set of ears an engineer or maybe get somebody to do a little string arrangement or come in and play some conga drums or whatever it is just to kind of just to kind of keep yourself in check keep it real you know what i mean and and then watch them while they're doing it and be like oh this is an interesting little song you've done and then you're like what do you mean like <laughs> you know what i mean and then you can tweak things doing it's the more people that you can mix in the better i think always yeah is it difficult- as long as they get it as long as they get what's up you know right right is it difficult to kind of switch gears from going from a producer's mind to being a musician that's creating? Well, you just have to check yourself at the door a little bit and you have to realize it's not about you. That's all it is. And as soon as, and I, I, I'm fine to do that. And I have had my struggles with that in the early days of doing records, like, where you you know you feel like okay i'm in here i'm in charge i'm the boss so i should be able to say this or this or that and um the artist will be like no i don't want that and it's easy to get a little bit like what do you mean like but i i let that all go a while ago um and realize it's not about you and your job is not to impose your opinion like of of what something okay here's here's a better way to explain it as a producer if you have an idea because you have a thousand ideas in that room right like maybe more and you say an idea and the artist says i don't like that idea then it's the best trade a producer can have is to let that go let that idea go because you're gonna have another idea in 20 minutes and maybe they're gonna dig that one you know what i mean but the wrong idea would be like what do you mean you don't like that idea you don't think that we should do the do the snare on the double time on the on the bridge like what do you mean and then you get all sad about it and you start moping that's not your job your job is to say okay why don't you like that idea and they explain to you why and you listen to that person And then you say, okay, I'm going to, in your mind, you say, I'm going to give you that one (laughs) because I'm going to get the next one, you know? And that's what you think. And it's all about, uh, it's about managing personalities and friendships and, and egos and everything. And then it always comes out in the wash and evens out, right? So you say, okay, no worries. We'll do the drums like that. And then 20 minutes later, when you're like, they're, you know, they're all happy because they got that drum idea <laughs> down. And then you say, hey, what if we did the bass a little bit like this? And they say, hey, great idea. You know, 
And in the end, the whole thing comes together like a collage and makes this beautiful thing that you've made together because you've figured out how to communicate. And communication is the secret uh, formula behind every single album that's ever been made, you know? I can I can see where you're coming from on that as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. I hope so. <laughs> uh do do you like to work with people that you you don't really know or don't really have a background on and you're just kind of coming in fresh whether it be in a recording situation or playing a show with or whatever else? For sure. Yeah, I mean if they're cool. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you don't know if they're going to be cool or not. I've had both, right? Like uh, you go into go into something and it's always a bit scary at first on a recording session, especially when you've got a band or something that you're going to work with for two, three weeks. And then you meet them on the first day and you're like, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe this uh, guitar player is going to not get along with me or something. It can be scary. But um you know, I think I'm pretty good at uh, at meeting meeting new people. I'm a pretty social guy, a bit of an extrovert, so I'm I've never been afraid of that. I when, like people. All right, good. That, that was my next question. Do you like? People? <laughs> uh, I do. I do. When do you feel like the cobwebs are kind of shaking off? If it's a two week span and you're kind of nervous going into it, when when do you feel like more comfortable? Well, <clears throat> depends or is it on circumstance. The per- yeah, circumstantial. Depends on the person, man. Big time, right? And unfortunately, unfortunately, there in 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 a recording session, there's always a little bit of a sandbox kind of situation at first, where it's a bit of a drag that it is this way. But I've encountered it a few times that like there's often somebody who you know, wants to, you know, wants to say something, wants to talk a lot and have a lot of opinions. And you feel like they're almost like posturing a little bit, you know? And um, if you're producing a record, it's, it's one of the kind of the lame parts of the job that you have to kind of take control of a session. And sometimes it's not that pleasant. Like you have to sort of have a conversation with, the whole group or something and be like, look, this is what's going down. These are my ideas and it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to come out great, but we got to all kind of listen to, to, to what me and the artist are saying here. And that's, what's going to happen. And, you know, and sometimes you have to have things like that, but hopefully not. Usually, usually everybody's pretty chill, you know, is the joy you get from producing music and the joy you get from creating music different or is it the same? It's different. It's different, man. I mean, I hate to say it, but I'll tell you because I like to tell you the truth. Um, There's nothing, nothing as good as writing a song. And when you're working on a song that you've written out of nothing, like out of the ether, and then you're like, okay, this is going good. And then you take a walk and you get like a few more lyrics to it or like this idea, like for the bridge or something that is like pure ecstasy. 
I, this is just me. I can only speak for myself, right? Never, I've never experienced anything like that feeling of creating something out of nothing that came only from your mind, you know? But producing for me is a very close second to that because I love collaborating. And when you get, especially at the end, when you get to the finish line of a big project um, with another person who you really love working with and respect, boy, that's just that's just a whole lot of fun as well. When you listen back and you're looking at the eye, looking in the eyes of these other people that you've been in there with for for two three weeks, and it's it it it's it's just so ah, uh, it's 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 really lovely, you know. Because it's a lot of work, man, to make a record, you know, on on both sides of the of the glass. Yeah, for sure, for sure. How did you feel when the your first solo album was was done? Yeah, I felt good. I mean, it did well, actually. Like, um, um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how I felt, man. I, you know how I, how I feel is like, I feel like when you're in the studio and you're making it, that's it. That's the dream. You know, that's always the best part. When stuff gets finished and then released, it's always a bit of a disappointment, you know, because even if it, well, number one, I've never had anything be like a massive success, like huge, right? Like, but even if it did, I feel like there would always be something to be slightly disappointed about, about the way it came out or the way people interact with it. But there's always a moment when you're in the studio, when you're hearing it back, you like do the vocal, or you're doing something and you're hearing it back and you're listening to it and you think in your mind, you get this thought always, I don't care how old you are, what the song is, you get this thought, you think, wow, that sounds good and maybe just maybe this is going to be the tune that's going to do it for me, you know? Right. And that only happens when you're hearing it out of the playback of the speakers when you're recording it. And that's it. I would always, I always tell younger musicians and people I know that that is it. That's the dream. Enjoy that moment. Because it's not when you put it out on Spotify and, like, you get added to, like, the, like, indie chill playlist or whatever like that's not the moment that you're stoked the moment you're stoked is when you hear it back in the studio and you think we've just made something or we're making something it's going to be something special so like releases never really like like blow me away you know for me it's like i'm 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 an artist in the in the you know the sense of the word that is like you know I get stoked on the on the making the art, you know. Right. The rest but, is beyond my control. Yeah. You, yeah. You can, again, you can only do so much. I don't know how Spotify works. I don't know who decides where it goes. I don't know how people get it onto their personal algorithms. I don't know you know, how many people read certain publications, how many people listen to certain podcasts. I don't I have can tell you. I'll give you, I'll give you the numbers. Not, <laughs> you got the stats? Yeah, you got the, the stats. stats. Yeah. <laughs> and we're doing great. Uh, okay, good. Nice. 
good no, for you. I, I, I like music. It's like I'm just stoked when anybody listens. So if anybody's listening to this, if anybody's come this far, thank you for for fucking listening. Yeah. That's good. You should thank them, man. Where are you, man? Where are uh, you? Orange County, California. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So you great. must be a Mapache fan, right? Of course. I'm, I'm from California. So I just did a whole tour with them, right? Right. Um, the, uh, in, this, in this October. Year. In October. Yeah, I did the East Coast run of their tour opening for them. Yeah. How was that? How was that for you? Wonderful. Just wonderful. I love them all so much. I'm, uh, they're all brothers to me now, all those guys in that band. Um, we had a great time. A little too much fun at times. You know what I mean? No, I don't. But uh, moving on. <clears throat> Uh, oh, don't ask. <laughs> uh, were you or do you just usually play solo? No, no, no. no. I I do it all, man. But it was uh, it was uh, it was hard to bring a big band out to, and do that. A little too expensive these days. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the setup on that on that tour? I just played solo with an electric guitar, okay. and it worked out because then I could travel with them in their van, right? Which was uh an additional um perk for me because i want i love them and i wanted to just be able to just hop in and we could have all have all the kind of laughs together in the van you know had i brought a band i would have had my own band then we just meet at the van it was easy and fun yeah it was great it was great uh, it seems like with any road trip that you know you get you get you get a sense of like what the you know who everybody is and being in a being in a car for that long you'll you'll connect with some people. Touring is a, is a really really good way to get to know people <laughs> intimately. Good. Yeah. So so it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, are the are the shows in in the states and in canada is it ever different for you does it have a different feel for you i don't or? play a lot in canada honestly um i don't know i know people will say uh people will say what's the matter with you you don't play in your own country but i've never we never shiloh's never did a cross canada tour i've toured in the states uh you know in la i have a bigger turnout than i do in vancouver and uh, it's just always kind of been my thing. And Shiloh's were no different. We toured the States two, three times, the whole country. Um, and um, yeah, you know, I played in Toronto, Montreal a few times, obviously. But I, and um, done the odd thing, but um, I don't know. I really only know touring in terms of, of, of the United States. I could really only speak to that. Yeah. And- it's it's cool, right? It's good. Great, great, great. Food, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't say food's great. Food's getting harder. Food's getting harder. I feel like it's hard to find good food. Mm, no, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like especially as you get a bit older. You know, you get into your late 30s, and then you're like, if you eat like processed food, fast food for like five days, even your body really feels it. You know what I mean? It's gnarly, dude. I remember being like 23, 24, man. You could just drink all night and then wake up and just eat like Chick-fil-A and then like keep on rocking. It's easier, you know? But then like 
you find yourself like we when we were out with mapache we'd need to like kind of like plug in like a whole foods every morning and drive like 15 miles out of the way just so we could get like something that was reasonably organic in our bodies you know what's the what's the order or what was the order at the whole foods always different because uh depending on the time of day but uh we we got into the hot bar you know where mm-hmm. it would be like get some steamed vegetables a little bit of chicken maybe a little salad whatever eat something like that you know kombucha big a lot of kombucha just basically anything that they fooled us into thinking will make us feel better and actually it is a bit of like a kind of a hypnosis kind of a mind trickery kind of thing that you're like yep i'm gonna drink this green juice and this kombucha and eat some salad and of course i'm gonna forget the fact that i drank 10 double tequila sodas last night you know yeah, it's green. It means good. It's gonna cancel it out. It's gonna. That's all right gone out. now. Obviously, yeah. I had some. I had some kale. You know. Yeah, it's yeah. You're. I. I. I think you're actually maybe a bit too healthy. You gotta kind of dial it back a little bit. Well, little that's bit why you get to the next club and you drink ten doubles again, right? <laughs> <laughs> do you um? Do you like to have a little drink before you you step on stage or? Yeah. You know, but you gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta take, you gotta be careful with that because, um, you gotta do it just right. Mm-hmm. I do, but, um, there's, there's too little and there's too much. I, I've, I've tried both. I've tried to not have anything before a show when you're on tour and being like, I'm going to go and, and sometimes you just, if you have been on tour and you, you've drank a little bit or whatever, you can be a little shaky. So I find a couple of drinks is good calms the nerves, makes you a little more uh, friendly with the audience. You tell a few jokes, you do a few things. But any more than that, you're risking just being a, a dumbass out there. Right, you know, yeah. Flubbing chords or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, well, a little drink makes you a little bit looser. Makes things yeah, feel you know, it's not, nothing wrong with a, with a, with a, little, a little one to take the edge off, you know. Just a little bit. Now, are you, are you tequila? If that man? is how you're so inclined, which I am, but right. yeah. Now, tequila is the is, is the liqueur right now. <clears throat> I like tequila. Um, as far as a as a clear spirit, I would say tequila is my favorite. Um, on tour with Mapache, certainly the California boys, tequila is our uh, definitely our drink of choice. Um, I've drank a lot of tequila with those men. And I plan to drink a lot of it with them again. <laughs> Good. Uh, and um, Hornitos was is kind of on the fence about sponsoring you guys, or uh, you guys I wasn't. I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware that that sponsorship was on the table. But I'd like to tell the fine folks at Hornitos that I am available and open to a sponsorship at any time. Me as well, Hornitos. Let's let's do it. Let's let's yeah. do the thing. Come on. Yeah. It's a fine product, if you ask me, Johnny. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, if you determine uh, quality by, uh, you know, how often you you use a product, then uh, <laughs> Ornitos for me would be uh, a number one, eight out of ten, nine out of ten, ten out of ten on some nights. Abs- absolutely, yeah. absolutely, couldn't yeah. agree with you more, Ornitos. Yeah. Now they have until this is out to be to put the sponsorship on the table or else we're going to bleep the name 
that's yeah or else this yeah this episode might not even come out yeah choice is yours you know it's it's not up to me anymore it's now hornitos's yeah do what do what you wish with that um we i think it was a nice little commercial i think that you really meant it yeah i think the statue i mean i it's not to me it's not alive we drank a lot of hornitos out on the road i drank a lot of hornitos not on the road i drank Um, a lot tonight (laughs) just kidding i plan to have more uh i'm joking of course no no uh yeah of course no it's it's a monday we're in when we know it that's not is it what what day is it monday monday Monday. that's good yeah okay when you're on the road and you're in your plane your song is live does Mm. it give a different feel to these songs when you when when you're presenting them to to others definitely uh yeah definitely man um you mean versus recording them yeah 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 um yeah i mean playing solo is a real treat because you get to really really you don't have to think about the band or what they're doing or whether they're playing the music correctly or anything so what you do is you look out into the audience and you look at people's reactions and that is a real treat to just watch people react to your songs and your lyrics and I sort of explored that a lot on this recent tour where I would do them different ways, you know, play them a little quieter or a little louder or whatever and, and watch people and see how they'd react. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And then obviously, you know, um, of course, people will come up to you after the show and tell you a song they liked or whatever. And that feedback is, is, is very rewarding. Do you sometimes play the 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 songs that you that will go on a a record eventually or an album or or just a separate release in front of people before you bring them into a to a record to record well i did that on this tour except i actually do have i have a whole new record done in the can already um that'll come out next year but i uh played a bunch of the songs um on this tour and uh, I wasn't planning to actually. Um, and Sam kind of said, Sam kind of, he sort of um, pointed me in the direction of doing a few of them because he knew them that he thought might be cool and uh, it ended up being great and feeling very good to play them, to play them live. Cause I was like, you know, I'll save them. I won't do the new ones until the record's out. And then I got out there and I was like, ah, oh, why not? I'll do it, you know? And it, it was great. And then it was a bit more fun for me because I've been playing a lot of that old stuff forever, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll play anything, man. I I, I played stuff on this uh, tour also that I haven't even recorded. Just new songs I've been writing or whatever. For sure. Play it. Do it. Always do it. That's what I say. I think that's a good thing to say. Uh, what do you get? And this is, is a deep question because we're about to wrap it up here. But what do you what get? What do you get when you fall in love? Is that where you're going with? No, that's I. I know that's a new one off the album. I didn't want to. Yeah. I mean, we can debut it here, but I just, I just feel bad. At, you know, maybe it's a single. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the track listing is. Um, what do you get from creating music in all these different aspects and all of its forms? What do you get from that? 
you know, it's, uh, I have a podcast and we, it's called Impossible Way of Life. And we call it that because Robbie Robertson in The Last Waltz is talking about touring and about making music and about, and he says it's a goddamn impossible way of life, you know? But he has this smile when he says it. And I think that the smile is about this idea that you wouldn't take it any other way, you know? And I think that what I get out of it is that it just is the only thing that I know how to do, man. You know, like I knew it when I was a little kid and I used to watch Singing in the Rain and I couldn't tell you what the what the actors looked like or or what the scenes looked like, but I could always remember the songs they were singing and what it was. And as much as I tried at different points to get into other things, I think that it, music was just the only thing that gave me this certain feeling that was right down there in the guts that like, you know, you know, I'm rambling, but people, people talk about having a job and it never really kind of like, you know, you just work that job and it doesn't really fulfill them completely, but you make a lot of money maybe. And you know, you have a good life and well, I've never made a lot of money, but I can tell you what, that those moments, that when you're when you're really in it and you're making music and you're recording it or you're playing it and you get those just kind of like those wow moments when you're up on the stage, you're in the studio or whatever, the satisfaction of knowing in those moments, because it does click for you where you're like, this is what I'm meant to be doing. This I know this because it's speaking to me through my whole body and soul and everything. That's worth, you know, all the riches in the world to me. And so that's what I get out of it, you know, and I, I'm, I'm in debt building this house. I'm, I'm, you know, people could say, what the hell are you doing? You know what I mean? Go get a real job, but I can't because I wouldn't be happy unless I could hear those tunes getting laid down and, and then listen back to them later and, and, and feel the pride of adding new beautiful music to the world via whoever I'm working with, you know? And so that's, that's what it really means to me. Is that what keeps the kind of flame of interest within music going? Is it a large portion? Is that a lot, a log log, a large log on that fire for you? Oh man, for sure. I'm all, I'm almost 40 years old, man. And I'm not going, I'm, I will never retire in the music industry. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going anywhere because I made a decision a long time ago that that was all I know how to do. And that's what I was going to do. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. And, um, you know, it would have to be some strong other factors in my life that would, that would, that would make me have to slow down or stop. But, um, it keeps me going every day. The fact that, you know, a great friend of mine told me every time you sit at the piano, you never know if you're going to write imagine. You know, and I always think about that because it's totally true. Like Imagine is not the greatest song ever written. Like it's a very simple song that John Lennon wrote. And you never know if you sit at the piano 
that you're not going to place your fingers on those keys and write that song that's going to resonate with millions of people around the world for whatever reason. There's only 12 notes in that scale, and you might just do it. So that's enough to keep anybody going for a lifetime, I think. You know? You might be 80 that. when you write it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you be kind of bummed if you were 80 when you wrote that? Yeah, probably. But I'd leave, there would probably be some kind of like deathbed like mo like moment where you'd be like, I finally did it, now I can die. You know? Or something probably, like that. Yeah. You kinda wanna see the fruits of the labor though a little bit. I guess so, but at least you yeah, I don't at least know. it was done though. That's that's also a good point. I also I, I don't really think about the success like it's more about oh the the journey like I was saying about being in the studio, it's all about the journey for me. Like it's like keeping trying to do it. And honestly, probably if I did it at eighty, I'd be like, might be able to do a better one. Okay, I wrote Imagine, but I might be able to write like a Rolling Stone still. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Do you do you think that that there is a point that you could hypothetically reach? that you know you wrote imagine you wrote like a rolling stone is there is there a a point that you say okay i'm i've i'm nourished i i'm fulfilled with with what i've created or is there always that hunger that is never able to be you know i don't know that built. i would call it a hunger because i'm already fulfilled you know i feel already nourished by what i do and it's not like it's not that makes it sound like a ravenous animal hungry to to write something that's going to be huge. It's not about that. It's for me, it's just more about I already feel very nourished and I just feel like why not? Why not explore a bit more? You know, it's an adventure. It's like go out there and always like I guess I like the unknown. I like the idea that maybe there's one that there's something cool that I haven't uncovered that 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 could still be discovered. You know? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on here, man. I really, really appreciate it. And um I appreciate your time. I'm so glad they were able to do this. But before I let you go, I got some promo to do. So Okay, okay. Your music's streaming everywhere, right? Wherever people get their music. That's You're damn right. You. You're All damn right. right. And uh, you got a website mm -hmm. that that is, and does that link to where people can go support you directly, like the the vinyls? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does johnnypain.ca. Mm -hmm. And uh, -huh. uh, so go there and go buy these albums and and help build this house. And the the, the <laughs> concrete needs you. to be laid. I mean, I know that that's that's labor intensive. Just in oh, general, oh buddy, yeah. Oh boy, um. Yeah, and that and that'll link to all the all the good stuff. Yeah, everything's and, there. Yeah, everything's, everything's there. there. Yeah, okay. yeah. And yeah. is there a Bandcamp that you got that people can go? To no, well? um, but you can buy my records straight from my website, and that all that money and everything goes straight to me. Perfect. Right there. Yeah. So go there yeah. and go get the stuff, and people can stay up to date with the news and tours and all that good stuff. I follow totally. you on Instagram, right? That's the best place. Yeah, yeah. Instagram's good for that. Yeah, for sure. At Mr. Mr. Johnny, Johnny Payne, yeah. Uh, no underscores, just straight across. Yeah, that's and, right. And uh, Impossible Life, that's the name of the podcast? Impossible Way of Life, Way is, of my, life. is my podcast. Yeah, that uh, we break down uh, 
we just kind of talk about old records um, in a in a goofy way, and um, we kind of kind of consider ourselves a rock and roll future podcast. I like that. <clears throat> yeah. What was classic the last... rock future? Classic rock future. Like we talk about like all the Beatles stuff that's going on right now. You know, like now with now and then all that the Stones putting out new out like. We, but then we'll also go back and talk about, it, it, you know, it, it, you know, we, we, it's not, it's not so much what you're doing, which is far more uh, admirable, like actually <laughs> talking no. to people False. who make music now about what they do. We sort of just obsess over old rock and rollers and ask what the hell they think they're doing. Yeah. Is there is there an album that sticks out to you? Not not in this in this future in this present sense of the future, but uh-huh. uh, looking back, is there one that really sticks out to you from this from the classic rock genre? An album? Yeah, one album. I mean, <laughs> we're at the end here. I got to do like the hardest question. Where are you in the promo section? Like an all time favorite album? Not an all time favorite one, but like one that you're like, yeah, that one is that one speaks to me for some reason. Well, one that I always talk about that people who know me know is an album called Nilsson Sings Newman, which mm. is Harry Nilsson doing all Randy Newman songs with Randy Newman playing piano. And it's just Harry singing and Randy playing piano and it's all Randy's songs. And to me, it's one of the most beautiful recorded things that's ever existed. And, uh, it's I, 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 I chose it because not a lot of people know it and it's an incredibly like masterful record, you know? So good yeah. deal. Uh when does the podcast come out, by the way? We put one out on Wednesdays and one out on Sundays. It's uh, a two for each each uh each week. Two a week, buddy. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm feeling bad over here. I got a, I got a one per week. Well, I'm envious I mean, of your schedule, man. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, what what's what's the best place that people can go check that out? You or do you guys have YouTube? We don't do YouTube yet, but it's everywhere else, you know. Uh, Spotify, Apple. Yeah, Music. we have a Patreon, and then and then beyond that, it's Spotify, Apple Music, everything, you know. All Heck that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. go check yeah. out that podcast. You and... should check it, dude. You you get a gig out of it. Wait till you hear it after we've done this. You're gonna laugh your ass off. Man. That's gonna be great. Yeah. So go check out the podcast. Go to the website. So I'll be linked below. Do we have anything else to promote, Johnny? Yeah, we do your podcast, dude. Because uh, I just want to thank you for having me on. And uh you know honestly I've been so busy this year and I've done a few interviews but you reached out to me and people like you who are taking an interest in the music that we're all making, say you had Sam on, you had Rayla. I saw you had a lot of other people I know. I just want to thank you for taking an interest in, in, in what we're all doing. It's really, it's, it, it makes us all, you know, feel like uh, we're doing something. You know, well, I well, nice. well, let me assure you that you are, and I appreciate your time coming on here, Johnny. Thank you yeah. so, so much, sir. Um, I'm going to stop recording this, and I'll talk to you in a minute, all right? Okay, buddy. Thank you, sir.